Hey, Senda. Hey, Phil. Whew, I got back from a week-long trip. Did you prep up some show notes and a topic and everything for us to uh, for us to do today? Wait, wait, I was supposed to prep a topic this week? Oh no, was I supposed to do it? I was gone all week. I know, we didn't think about this. Maybe we should just do a chit-chat. A chit-chat it is. Cue music. And welcome to another fine episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And for today, we are indeed going to be doing a chit-chat because life and stuff and things. So we will be back to our regularly programmed answering your gaming questions topics next week, probably. Hang on a second. Is that the 4th of July? Okay, well, we'll let you know because I've just realized on air that we haven't planned ahead. So we're going to figure this out. But if you haven't listened to the show before, this is not our standard format. This is something that we slip in when we haven't had time because of life or other circumstances um, to prep a topic the way that we usually do. And this time it's on me because I was away at a week-long business conference and it was way busier than I thought it was going to be. So I didn't get any show notes, topics picked out or anything. I just basically was at the conference the whole time. So which to be clear is perfectly fine. It is. I just thought like (laughs) I also thought like, oh, I'll have time to go back to my hotel room and like, you know, knock out a few little things and we'll be back on track by Saturday. But alas, that did not happen. So anyway, this is um, our normal our format for the chit chat is borrowed from uh, our friends at Gauntlet. And um, they have uh, what's giving me life, a phrase that ever since I heard it, I always, I fell in love with it. What is giving us life? And we're going to do it in two parts. What's giving us life in gaming and what's giving us life in general, like in the rest of our lives. And that's our normal format for this uh, show. And then we, from it, we will tease out some gaming discussions and some topics. So it isn't just us uh, talking about stuff we like, but we'll also make it relatable to you in uh, for your games as well. Yes, but if you do want to hear the standard format of the show, jump back to one of our uh, listener-submitted topics if this is the first episode you're listening to (laughs) and you want to catch what is this show all about. But without further ado, Phil, would you like to start us off with what is giving you life right now in gaming? Yeah, what's giving me life in gaming is, um, I, I don't have a name for it, you know, despite being Definition Panda, but it needs a name. And it's basically when the amount of prep you have is... It looks like not a lot, but the way the game winds up playing, you hardly used it because of all the cool stuff that happened at the table. Yeah, and I, I mean, had that's two, the best. <laughs> I, had two exa- I have two examples of this. So before I left for my business trip, like so two weeks ago, we were recording Children of the Shroud uh, Story 3. And I had probably like a page more of prep for the um you know in my notes and you know we try to like we like to get like two episodes 
out of each recording session. So I was like a little concerned when we sat down at the table. I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is going to fit. You know, like, I don't know if we're going to just run through this. We're going to wind up short or am I maybe I'm just going to have to, you know, ad lib some stuff, whatever. And we got going. And you'll hear this when the actual episodes drop. But the first episode uh, turns out to be this awesome uh, combat scene, but a whole bunch of unscripted stuff, like unprepped, I should say not scripted, unprepped stuff happens in like alongside this combat. Is it is it episode three of Smarty Pants? Is that the one that you're talking about? Uh, was there a, a giant fight in a park? Yes. Yeah, because I listened to that one on Tuesday. This okay, last so, Tuesday. So that yeah, one so dropped with, with, with Samia? With, yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to like get if yep, it's the same episode I'm, without doing spoilers. <laughs> I'm behind, right? So, okay. So that episode dropped. And so that fight yeah. with Samia was like definitely on my notes, but it was like two bullet points, right? Right. And there uh, was a, so much really fantastic character work that happened before they got there. It was beautiful. I yeah. loved every second. So there's like a whole bunch of stuff that I wasn't expecting to happen. There's a bunch of stuff that happens during the fight that I wasn't expecting to happen. Uh-huh. Right. And the outcome, because I don't know where Chris cut it. The outcome of the fight was not what I expected. Yeah. I, I don't know if I truly know the outcome. It's okay. Yet, so. so anyway, yeah. by the time we finished recording... We like we wrap up and I'm like, man, we barely moved the needle on my prep. (laughs) Like it barely moved. And I was like, and we ad libbed like we we did some like we did some um, ad lib scenes and stuff just, you know, not in the prep, but just playing off where we were that uh, created its own whole set of stuff. Oh, yeah. So I was like, I was supremely impressed. Like we got, Bob and I got in the car to drive home and I'm like, man, I thought we would be through all of story three tonight. Not even close. In fact, I'm almost confident that what I have is probably enough to get us through two more recordings, but I will probably prep a little little bit more now. Just in case. (laughs) Just in case, right? I will probably just pack on a little uh, at the end. Just to have some additional material. Okay, so that was the first one. Very pleasing. Second one was I had my session one for Cyberpunk Red. So new campaign with my group that was formerly my Knights Black Agents group. And I prepped a relatively simple adventure. Just a uh, thing has gone missing. Go find out where it is. Very straightforward. Not even no real twists and turns, like a very small linear plot uh, just to test out the mechanics of the game. Right. Like, let's get us into a fight. Let's do some skill checks. Let's just let's warm up the system here. Let's all get accustomed to it. I didn't want to make anything too complicated. But I did ask the players because one of the things that we didn't really get to do in Knights Black Agents was because these guys were like secret agents and didn't trust anyone. We didn't really get to do a lot of NPC work. Yeah. So I said, cool, let's let's just open that up right off the bat. So I said, hey, everybody, send me I said I gave them the scene where they would be. And I said, send me an NPC that you are talking to uh, during this. It was a pride festival because I kept pride alive in, in Cyberpunk yes. Red. Good. Right. So good, good. it was it was a pride festival in this suburb. And um, I was like, tell me who you run into. At the Pride Festival. So everybody gave me a character and a little bit of something that they wanted to um, either what they wanted to talk about or kind of their general um, attitude position or whatever. So I made up a couple like I, I you know, wrote out individual character scenes 
And um, we wound up playing them out. And the individual character scenes actually took up a decent amount of time for my session. So, like, we just kicked off the main story part. Like, the, I gave them the problem. I set them off to, like, where the first clues were. And we were done for the evening. But it was great. Like, everybody really enjoyed their character scenes. The character scenes themselves were really good and um, set up uh, seeds for future stories. Like, I, I seeded several of them with extra stuff so that in future stories uh, there would be things for them to do or little quests, side quests and that kind of thing. And it was once again like, okay, well, and I knew this, right? I'm coming back from my week-long business trip and I have to run this game on Sunday night. Well, I now still have most of my material yeah. intact, right? Like, so my little, my my bit of prep like two weeks ago has now yielded me like multiple sessions. And so I don't know what the name for that is. I don't know, like, I, I don't know if it's prep to session ratio. I think I've called it once in the past or something like that. But the idea that when you prep something, and maybe this is what I really love. I love when... I prep stuff, but the table comes up with so much more stuff and they'll just come up with stuff that I instantly have to play on because it's now interesting, like stuff they've put out there that the amount of stuff I prep stretches out much longer because the players just create so much more material. Oh, and if I think about it, I was going to mention, I'm like, I'm, there's another one. <laughs> there's another one, which yep. was the Saturday before you and I were playing Long Live the Queen. Yes. And we and thought we, we thought we were, were about, about to go do a thing. Yeah, we thought we were about to like jump deep into the mission. And we were doing like a little uh, Google Earth yeah, Google uh, looking Earth at the area. I think is what I would yeah. call that. Yeah. And we found this interesting building and we were like, oh, we should totally like do a scene there. So we did. And I use like, so I set up a, um, we found this interesting chateau, right? It was clearly a chateau that was yes. old enough to be part of, you know, like there when um, in our timeline, right? Because yes. remember our game is played in a alternate 1640s. And, uh, and very conveniently located to where oh, um, I need to actually go take care of this mission yes. in a way that we did not have previous access before. So I was like, oh, hang on. I'm just going to go replan the entire heist and we're going to figure out a way to use this as the base of operations instead. Right. And so yeah. then I just quickly whipped up an NPC. I used my cards to quickly whip up mm -hmm. an NPC. I used a random number, the random name generator. And it turned out that the random last name it came up with was the same name as one of the characters in your uh, NPC yeah, one troop. of my, yes, one of my, like, we called them GMPCs, actually, yeah. last episode. Um, but yeah, one of my GMPCs, like, it, you know, NPCs basically shared control that both of us have, who are our other sort of primary characters in the game. Yeah, it was the same last name. So we're like, yeah, they're related. Yeah, and then we just like quickly <laughs> built out like a whole set of scenes around it, which was awesome. We played the entire awesome. session doing that instead of the thing, which is going to tie into my giving me life in a couple minutes here, sure. which is really funny. But yes, carry on. Yeah, so anyway, I guess from a like, how do we relate this to gaming stuff? Well, the thing that I was going to say, what it sounds like to me is it is a joy to play with players who are as invested as you and will give you right? Like who will um, make strong choices in your narrative 
that cause you to need to either escalate or react. And then your escalation or reaction causes them to need to escalate or react, right? Like, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, I I think that it's definitely part of that, right? Like, I have good players who can run with just a little bit of prompt, like a little bit of prompt they will go a long way with. And so what it really allows me is kind of the comfort of I don't have to write so much prep that it fills every single moment of the game, right? I can trust that my players are going to kind of add to and contribute to what else is going on and then allow me in a very um, ad hoc, ad lib kind of way to start playing off that to the point where I don't actually know what's going to happen, right? And I that's when I get into a space like that, that's actually my favorite GMing space is when the players truly surprise me with stuff. Uh, and when we whip up stuff like like just seeing that chateau, was like an exciting like oh no 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 like we like oh no we should go do like a whole scene about this Mm -hmm. and we did and we spent the rest of the game on that um i think what that what that is because that's what i play for when i gm part of the reason that i prep so little is because i um, I want that so badly that i i leave swaths of space for that to happen Right. Um, And I find it exhausting when I end up in situations where I am expected to be sort of the sole purveyor of like story entertainment, like dance monkey dance. Right. Um, And that's that's not a style of GMing that I particularly personally enjoy. I know there are, you know, there are folks out there who will plan down to the last detail and what they want to do is tell a story to their players. Um, My personal preference and I think that this is aligned with yours in this based on what you're saying is I'm a player too surprise me let's tell tell a story together right 100% Um, like I am very much about um so I like to prep story like I like there to be a thing that goes on but I only like that in a kind of high level framework and this goes back to some of our uh philosophical core of GMing, which is to present problems, not solutions. Yeah. Right. So I'm very much about presenting a whole bunch of problems, but then playing for the solutions. Yeah, we don't, I don't think either of us knows what's going to happen uh, when we play Long of the Queen this evening. <laughs> I mean, I have enough of we an would. idea to kind of roughly push it along. Like, I mean, sure. I, so here's and, what I know. And I, I know, know my plan, right? Like I know my heist plan. Right. I know the problem. <laughs> yes. Right. So I, I know what the opposition is. I know what they're doing, where they're doing it. And I know who's involved, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know anything else. And that's like, and so I guess there's this cool, so there's this cool middle ground, right? There's the part of the story that I absolutely do know. And then there's your character, which you absolutely know. Yes. Right? And then there's this interesting friction space that occurs in between, right? Where the play, right? Like this, like... Like what the happens prep, when we mash these two things together? Yeah, like yeah. I don't know what you're going to do. I don't know how the dice are going to fall, yeah. any of those things. And so I have in my head an ideal way that this opposition will react. I have an idea like 
what they're going to do, what they won't do, whatever. And then the rest of it, I won, just let go of, right? I create, so literally creating that empty space between us. Yes. So that that interaction can occur. Because I could literally just plan this thing down to every scene, every room, every interaction, and we would leave little to no little space, right? We'd leave a little space because there's some things we still can never control, right? We'd leave a little space. But the difference is I actually like to leave a much larger space because it's in that larger space. You don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. And so I get kind of the same feeling that players get like players get that feeling like I don't know what's going to happen next kind of thing well yeah ooh, exciting yes by leaving that space me too I also (laughs) don't know what's going to happen next and for me that's really exciting and that is actually how going back to all three stories all three of them are set up like I know in cyberpunk what happened I left a small breadcrumb of of um clues to lead to a problem Yes, I know how that problem is laid out. I do not know how the players will solve the problem. Will they reduce it to, you know, component atoms with bullets? Will they negotiate? Will they like whatever? I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know exactly what you're going to do in Long Live the Queen. And I honestly had only a rough idea of what was going to happen in Children of the Shroud. But partway through that fight, a bunch of stuff started to happen in the side of that mm-hmm. fight where I was like, oh shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I like, oh shit, we're going to have to have some scenes about that. Yeah. We're going to have to deal with some of that. I mean, I think that's some stuff. Yeah. Right. The stuff that happens between Silas and, and, and T. Yeah. Um, like, that's, that's, that's a whole thing. That's yeah. Good. So we're like, going to have to deal with that. <laughs> right. So, you know, and so it's that space. Now I will say this and we'll try to tie this off as a GM. I, over the years, right, this wasn't always true. As a GM, I started out plotting everything, leaving very little space, right? Controlling most of the story and doing those things. And then uh, I spent uh, several years doing ad-libbing, right? Just, you know, improv gaming kind of stuff. Lots of improv gaming. You were there for good, Mm -hmm. you were there for good portion of those, um, those years Mm -hmm. and learned how to have all space, Yes. Right. Very little prep is, and all space. Most, yeah. Mostly space. Yeah. And now I've reached this comfortable middle ground where I like to prep a certain amount of things because mm-hmm. I do like to tell a story. Yeah. But not prep so much that it forces play into certain directions. So I found this like the... um what is it? The Goldilocks, the just yes. right, like space <laughs> this where this one is just right. It, yeah, exactly. Yep. Where there's there is an actual problem. I didn't just make it up, right? There's some actual detail and thought put behind the problem, but there's still ample improv room to allow the players to approach the problem any way they like. Yeah. And to me, this has become my current, because again, after 40 years, nothing I have is set in stone. Mm-hmm. This has become my current favorite place 
in gaming. This balance point of structured story with structured problems, but open-ended improv solutions. Yeah. Gets me, to, I get to do a little both. I get to prep, which I like, obviously. Yep. And I get to improv, which I like. I get to be surprised. That's part of that improv yep. um, kind of thing. So the takeaway, right, coming all the way around synthesizing this thing as we go, the takeaway is as a GM, where do you like to place that needle? Do you, like Senda, like to put it all the way at improv? Like, hey, tell me three things. This is what our game's going to be about. Or that sounds like a good way to run a game. Sure. Absolutely. (laughs) There are no invalid ways to do this, right? Yeah. So I would run it like that. So on this continuum, right, there is the I'm going to write three words on a post-it note, and that's the game we're going to play. And all the way down to I have scripted every encounter that, you know, will come up in this game and have kind of telegraphed the approach or whatever. And there's a little space for players to kind of do their thing, right? That's all the way down the other spectrum. Where are you on that spectrum? And are you in your happy place and comfort place, right? So comfort place is going to be uh, how much prep do you need to feel comfortable being at the table? And happy place is going to be how happy are you when you are actually running the game? Like, are you having fun? Are you comfortable? Are you relaxed and enjoying what's happening in the game? Or are you tense? Like you feel like you're either losing control of the game or don't know what to do, you know, you're trying to pull it back or uh, you're stifling it too much. Like, are you not having fun? And really what you're striving for is to move along that spectrum of prep, no prep, to the point where you're having fun and also your players are having fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there. I think that was that's a that's a good place to leave that a one. Smashingly good topic. <laughs> Incidentally. Incidentally, like I'm probably now going to write a gnome stew article about this because I have to write one on Monday and this topic seems pretty damn it's, good. It's right there right now. Yeah. Right there. So, Senda, what's giving you life in gaming? Yeah, um, actually, I'm going to talk about Long Live the Queen. And this attaches somewhat to what we were just discussing, that we also ended up kind of falling down a rabbit hole that wasn't wasn't where either of us truly expected that game to end up the last time that we played. Um, but the so the interesting thing for me is that in a general sense, obviously, you know, significantly more details from a story side, but in a general sense, we both actually know where that game is going right now, like what we expect to happen in a very generalized overall sense. And we actually have both known that since we started playing this arc. Um, and uh, because there was a there was a, a wishes moment um, where you you were like, ah, what do you want to do next time? Something different? And I said, I would like to try this thing. And you said, okay, cool. I'm going to write an adventure that does that, right? So what's really interesting is um, that's that's my giving me life moment is that I know, and I've known for a while, and life has conspired to slow down our play a little bit more than usual, which has been like edging me with this experience. <laughs> like, can't quite get there. Um, so we know that the story is going to get to this place and I'm really excited to play 
into that part of the story. I asked for it, right? Yeah. Like I, I was like, this would be a really cool thing for us to mess with would be this specific kind of heisty experience. Like, um, and I'm really, really excited to do it. And all of the planning that I've been doing as a character has been to make this happen. And all of the story that you have been creating has been to create a situation in which it is logical for this to happen. And hopefully tonight, we're finally going to get to play it. And so I think the key part of this that's personally giving me life is that um, I remain completely and entirely invested in this because um, it was a direction that I asked for the story to go. And I'm so excited to do it. And we just keep almost getting there. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, when we say almost getting there, right, we're like, we were in the mission prep phase. Like the mission is definitely yeah. happening. Oh, it's yeah. It's just that we did a bunch of prep and then we thought we were. We thought we were done with the prep, but then we discovered a chateau. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I replanned the entire prep for the mission yes. based on the chateau and the scenes that occurred the last time that we played. Um, so, so obviously we will get there, but it's like the suspense, right? Exactly. Of like, and. And I think what is actually really interesting about this conversation is that from a meta gaming level as the player, I know that at least like these, like I know the generalization of how we're going to get into this situation. Um, and it's, it's an interesting difference in that I don't think as players, we always know where we're going to go or like where the story is heading and we tend to talk about metagaming um from a lot of different perspectives personally like it depends on the situation that you're in but this is this is one of the situations in which i think that metagaming is actually really helpful because i have metagame knowledge about this right and it means that a as a human being i'm really excited about the fact that we are almost to this part of the story right it's like coming up on the your favorite part of a book right like you know what's going to happen and you are excited to read it or you're a movie you know whatever it is a play something and you're coming up on that thing that you're really excited about you get excited about it so because i have as a player meta game knowledge about where we're going I get to be really excited that we're almost at that part, right? Absolutely. Which I think is really cool. Um, And it gives me the ability also, again, as a player, to to lean into that story and into that direction and into that specific planning as a character, right? Like, I can justify whatever I want in the story to make sure that I'm leaning into this like decision, this story that we decided together we were telling. Yeah. And I think what's interesting from a GM perspective on this is that the thing that you wished for was the, how you wanted to execute the mission without, without knowing what the mission was going to be. There was just, there was like, we have, we have done heists and we've done, you know, all of these things. And you were like, Hey, we've never done this before. And I was like, cool, we haven't. And I was like, okay, so that's your wish. And I was like, all right, as GM, I, you know, honoring your wish, because I am a, you know, 
I am a service GM. I like to, I guess I'm not a service GM, right? But I like to craft an experience for my, for my players. A, a pleasure GM, I would you say? I am a pleasure GM. Thank you. Yes. I am a pleasure GM, right? So I want to produce a certain, oh I want to produce a certain, um, you know, I want you to, I want to give you that thing that you put on the wish list. So I yes. had to then like build a story that was like, okay, like, what happens where that becomes the best approach for solving the problem, right? And that's fun for me because that's a creative exercise. That's a creative restraint. Like, okay, I want you to make a mission that fits into our genre, our setting that is, you know, very much a long live the queen mission, but has to execute this particular way so that you can have your wish and execute it. And I was like, okay. And, you know, I mean, I did what I normally do, right? I sat down and gave it some thought. I, you know, uh, then went and took a shower because that's, you know, where my best brainstorming always <laughs> seems to occur and, yeah, sure. you know, plotted my way through it and was like, got it. Okay, great. Uh, and then, you know, attached it to our normal framework, which our normal framework for our game, like we have a little bit of a, it's not hard coded into the game, but we have a structure to our game where we do, we start all of our new missions with some uh, personal story stuff. Then, yeah, because I'm back in, I'm, I usually, we usually start from Paris, yes. right? And then we have, you know, clean up personal stuff and then there's a mission giver yep, moment. There's a mission giver moment yeah. and then there's mission prep and then there's on site and then there's execute. Right. Yeah. And so and then there's get, and then out. get out. Right. So <laughs> sometimes get out is pretty interesting. Yeah. So we're, you know, that's 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 um so we're at the you're on site and now we're ready yeah. to execute. And so, yes. yeah. And I think tonight for reals, we're going to execute. Happening. That's happening. I have a yes. game. I have a board game yeah. night tonight, but I am leaving early. Like I was like, I'll take my own car, <laughs> like just so that I can leave early. Um, no, like, it's important. Like we have a game tonight. Week. And so this is, you know, I was invited to a board game thing and it's not, you know, what I normally do on Saturdays, but it's, you know, good friend and it's a birthday thing. So I was like, I will come out for a few hours, but I also have a game tonight. So I must depart. Like, I'm pretty sure we're going to be like about a 1030 start. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the good news is that it, it plays in your favor, the time difference in yeah, that respect. Exactly. So yeah. anyway, yeah. So I think that um, from the GM side of it, right, like I like I love and I don't think it's a problem at all from a metagame perspective to be like, oh, this is a thing you want to do in an adventure. Cool. I will build you an adventure around it uh, and I will just give you either I will either just tell you outright or I will put prompts in the game that make it clear that this is the, like, I'm giving you the thing you want. This is the one. Yeah. Which in this, in this particular case, you actually paused me early on. Cause I was sort of flailing around like, wow, how the heck do I plan for this mission? And you said, Hey, you remember that thing you asked me for? This is that mission. And I went, Oh, I know what to yes, do now. Like, right? it's time. Like, I know, I know how to play this story yep. now. Right. Like it all makes sense. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah. So like we actually had a moment where you said to me, this is that mission. And I went, got it. Right. Like, and then again, metagame knowledge for me as a player, but this is one of those things where, um, I think there's a lot of trust between us, obviously, um, as GM player. And so we're not gonna run ourselves into a place where, 
um, me having knowledge about the game is going to be, you know, result in me trying to nerf the game, right? Me having knowledge about the game gives me the opportunity to play into the game harder. Yeah. 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 And I mean, what it, um, what it amounts to, again, going back to that, like, comfort space is like, you know how you're solving the problem. You don't actually know the I whole problem. I don't know problem. what's going to happen, right? A, I don't know the whole problem at all. There's there's some elements of this where, like, I, I got a pretty, a pretty reasonable pin on the, like, get in, save the other operative, like, these people are involved. The thing that I'm, like, about is there's also some, like, radioactive material involved in a way in the time and the I don't know. We'll report back on that later when I figure that out, maybe, right? So there's certainly some moving parts that I have no idea um, how they're going to come into play. And I'm very happy with that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. that's always... I don't, don't want to know everything about the situation. Yeah, and that's always my goal, right? My goal is... Um, and even if you did know a whole bunch of stuff about the situation, you still don't know how you're solving it. I have no idea. Right. Like, I mean, this I only, is. I know how I'm getting in, right? I mean, this is the, <laughs> this is the whole point of it, right? The whole point is going back to our first topic. Yeah. The whole point is there's enough of that empty space that yes. um, even if you know a bunch of stuff. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Neither of us actually know how this. Yeah problem is getting solved neither yeah, of us I, I don't i actually yeah. don't know like i just like we're gonna figure it out together yeah, I, I know <laughs> the remaining stuff like i know what the opposition is what they're planning to do that kind of thing you're once you encounter it you'll decide how you're gonna react yeah so it's i mean it, and again this is my favorite place to play right i like this i like this place where i get to be surprised so yeah cool cool shall we uh shall we move right on into what's giving you life in life yeah absolutely that was a weird way to say that but i kind of what else it. is giving me life um no what's give life life life, life. life. all right so <laughs> this uh this past week i went on uh, i went to a, a business conference so this conference is an annual conference that i used to go to before covid in fact this was the first time that it was being held in person since COVID. Um, and it is a technology conference for um, all of the college campuses that I work with. You know what? There's no secret to this. It, it was the SUNY Technology Conference, right? So State University of New York Technology Conference, where all of the IT um, professionals, not all of us, but IT professionals from all around the State University of New York system come together and we meet with vendors and we give presentations and all of that stuff. And it's in Lake Placid, New York, which is an absolutely lovely town um, up in the Adirondacks. It's um, got tiny mountains um, compared to you. Little, little, little tiny It has tiny little tiny mountains. mountains, but it has many much pine trees and cool air and all of that stuff. It's, it's quite lovely. Anyway, Yes. I took you above the tree line and we didn't even make it to no, the top. No, that's true. But um, <laughs> so we went and I was like, sure, I haven't been since, you know, before COVID. And uh, even before that, like just and you know this, of course, you know this. And I think a lot of our listeners do. Um, those years leading up to COVID were not great years for me. Those were pretty rocky years. Like if you look at like 2016 through 2019 and then the pandemic, like those were not great years for me 
overall. My life was kind of in turmoil. Um, my work stuff was in turmoil. I was like pretty mad at work um, and pretty verbally mad at work. <laughs> and, yes. and in fact, I didn't even go for a few years because um, this conference overlaps with Origins. Yeah. But this conference is only 550 people as opposed to 20,000. So on a, on a yes. level of safety, I felt, you know, more, I certainly scale. felt more yeah. safe at, at this conference than I did um, elsewhere. Plus this conference is pretty much only attended by people in New York. So vaccination, yeah. you know, vaccination rates remain pretty high, that kind of thing. Anyway, yeah. anyway, it hadn't been years and I didn't think too much about it, um, but I was also taking uh, our newest um, project manager up with me because I was like, well, I should at least show you the ropes and stuff when we get there. Introduce people. Yeah. I turned out liking it quite a bit, like more than <laughs> I remember. Like not only was it just nice to be like seeing people from campuses that I hadn't seen for years, uh, but also running into people I work like either currently work on projects with, have worked on projects with, like around the state, that kind of thing. Like all of that was really good. Somebody got the idea to organize a board game night. So, and by board game, like our, our people's board mm -hmm. games, because they were... Mm -hmm. Yeah, the nerdy yes, ones, not like Monopoly. Correct. They yeah. were part of, you know, they were also board game nerds. So the um, second night we're there, there was a full-on board game night in one of the ballrooms. And there was like eight rounds, of, like eight tables, like eight round tables, all going simultaneously. There was 30 or 40 people there. And that was the first time they'd ever done it. Like word hadn't gotten out yet. And I was like... I, I had a good time there. And then there's always a big event the last night. Um, and we were up at the um, Olympic bobsled track, like the training center. They have this whole thing. And it was like they had barbecue and a DJ and open bar. And um, I got to I had many, much good barbecue. I had many, many, much uh, rum and Cokes. And yeah, happy, happy rum and Coke. Drunk happy Phil. rum and Coke drunk <laughs> Phil. And I then ended the night sitting in an Adirondack chair in front of a fire, looking up at the mountain, like as the sun went down, the air got really cold and stuff. It was fantastic. And it just reminded me that there was a period of time in my life when I was really happy at my job and that there may just be space for me to be really happy at my job again. Like there may just be a reason to be happy and to be excited about going to work and stop being so kind of Gen X jaded and detached and antisocial and like maybe just actually enjoy my coworkers. And maybe we could, we were talking about over dinner doing a chili cook off in the office in the fall, like just a competition where we all make chili and then go around trying them and, you know, rating them and stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, like that seems okay. Like, why not? And even like our department, our, you know, project management office going out for lunch at Christmas, like, okay, like, you know, sure. And so anyway, I, I left the conference just feeling really good for the first time in a long time about, about work, like beyond just doing it, but just actually kind of being excited to do it. So that gave me life. I was honestly shocked because I was just kind of like, well, I'm going to go up there and bring the new guy so that I can keep him out of trouble. 
show them the ropes kind of thing. And shortly after we got there, I remember calling you being like, I'm having fun. Yeah, you were like, uh, I'm at a work conference and I'm, um, I think I'm having fun. Yeah. I think I like this. Is I is it okay for me to like this? I really did like the yeah. board game thing. Like, I don't mind having a few drinks, like, during the conference. And mostly, like, I don't mind having drinks, like, when they have an open bar at dinner and stuff like that. But for sure, some vendors, like, you know, opened up some tabs at bars and things like that. But I generally dislike being at bars. And so having the board game night, like, having the option to just come and bring some board games and teach games to people and learn games. And I should mention what I played in a minute. Uh was really fun. So I got to learn um, this game called Las Vegas, really super simple dice game that was a lot of fun, like easy to play, could teach. I could have taught my parents how to play this game. Uh, super fun, light game. We played uh, Red 7. I got eliminated almost immediately. The uh, new yeah, I mean, Jay, that that game is very much just a shrug. Well, you know, there's only so much you can plan. For. You know, the first, it starts <laughs> with high card. Right. And so Jason yep. dropped orange seven. Jeez. Right. And like there was like, like all my other uh, all my uh, other colors were like multiple card things. But, you know, like there was no way I was going to beat an orange seven it was brutal. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we played that. We played um, cockroach poker which is a fun little bluffing game. It's pretty amusing. Uh, and then we ended the night with Sushi Go and I forgot, like I have Sushi Go, but I hadn't played it in, in a while. And so we played, you know, people were reminding me how the game went. I'm like, oh, right. Yes. No, I love this game. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> I forgot to get a dumpling. I forgot to get a pudding and I would have won the game if I had remembered to get a pudding because I lost points for not having a pudding. And oh, I lost like thir- I had 33 points after taking a six point loss um, from not having a pudding. That was a rookie mistake yeah. on my part. But anyway, uh, anyway, the whole <laughs> thing just gave me life. It felt really good. And um, I'm going to be optimistic about work for the first time in like six years. I'm going to talk to my therapist about it. I'm not sure I'm ready to fully, I'm, I'm nervous. Like I have to, I, it's fair, it's I have fair. to talk to my therapist yeah. to make sure this is okay. I don't know. It, um, <laughs> it seems weird. It's been so long. I've been so either dejected, detached, or angry that the idea of being positive about it for a moment is kind of wigging me out. So I, I just need to get comfortable with the whole idea. Anyway. Yeah. That was, it's good. That's giving me life. What was what's giving you life in life? Oh boy, I've been reading so much. I've been reading so many books and I Back in um, the saddle again. Oh boy. Um yes. Um June so far, last I checked, was tied for my second highest reading. January this year was a little bit um absolutely over the top, but um June was quickly creeping up in that direction because what happened was that I I got a book that was on hold from the library. I got um, Psalm for the Wild Built um, by Becky Chambers, which is a, a, a short little read. I think I talked about it maybe in our Bamboo Lounge one of these days, but it's about 140 pages. Um, and it's beautiful um, and contains, you know, some stuff about just the, the society um, is a utopia that I read and I'm like, yes, this actually does feel like a a real true concept of utopia to me, um, in that it's built, built on, you know, community, um, 
giving back to the community, how you give back to the community, um, and how you integrate and live um, with the world around you in a way that is, uh, you know, causes as little harm as possible. Um, and it's a book about like who fills who fills the cup for the person who carries the pitcher. Um, but from there, I handed that book to Andy and I said, you need to read this right now, which she did. And, and then she immediately went and bought that book and the second one because she needed to keep them on her shelf, which makes sense to me because of her profession, even more than anything that I'm involved in, she is the one with the pitcher. Um, and so it started there, but then Andy went on vacation and she started reading a bunch of stuff and she picked up a series that I had um, read before that the fifth book is coming out soon for. And then I think the sixth book is also coming out this year. <laughs> I need to pre-order the sixth book. I don't know if I can yet, but I've already pre-ordered the fifth one. Anyway, she started reading the series. So then she was asking me kind of about trigger warning stuff. Um, and so I was like, huh, I don't remember at which point I immediately picked up the series and also reread the entire series kind of thing. Right. So like, and, 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 and reread it, not in a calm, like I'm reading a little bit kind of way, reread it in like a book a day while also working for eight hours a day, nine hours a day kind of way. Um, <laughs> so like there was just some like, I've been spending a lot of time reading. Um, and it's very funny because the other book I got from the library, I've now like just slowed way down because I'm like, this is a good book. I'm excited to read it. It's a Vlad Teltos book for anybody who knows Stephen Brust. Like, you know, you can't really go wrong, right? Like they're very reliable. You know what you're getting when you pick one up. But it's not like more of that series that I just reread, which I now desperately just want to read more of again sure. now like that's just what I want to read but I got this I got this Stephen Brest book from the library so I only have it for a limited time so I'm like really trying to read it right now <laughs> I could always get it again but like I don't know I got like I got like a couple days left before I gotta return or renew it and um anyway so I've been reading I've been reading so much I've been reading let me so just much. bring up something you had mentioned to me during pre-show um sure so throughout your life, you've obviously been a voracious reader uh, and have yes. had a number of favorite authors over the years. Um, but a lot of those were like 80s, 90s fantasy authors. Yeah, my previous favorite author, I mean, she's still a favorite author of mine. Her books are absolutely magnificent and beautiful, but it's Patricia McKillop and she's dead now. She died. Um, so, yes. There is a thing I was telling Phil on the phone um, before we were recording that is I am at the place where I am consuming enough literature again that I have a list of favorite authors who are currently writing, people who are now writing, right? That if I walk into a store and there's, or the library or whatever it is, right? And there's something that has their name on it on the shelf, I will pick it up. And I will read it. And I, I don't like, of course, I'll read the back. I want to know like how interesting it is. But the back of the book and what the story is about has less to do with me reading the book than the fact that I know who that author is. And I know exactly what I'm getting when I pick up that author and that I love it. Right. 
I Instabot a hardcover book for the first time in ages um, a couple weeks ago. And it's a book by T.J. Klune, who is the person who wrote um, The House by the Cerulean Sea is the most, the one that made the biggest splash so far was the first one that he released. Um, and it, he writes basically, you know, queer speculative fiction. Um, and uh, this book is the first in a series that he's writing. Um, and it's got, it's like small town werewolves and also love, um, queer love, right? And small town werewolves. And I was like, done. Like, <laughs> I was going to get two paperbacks, but I am willing to trade those two paperbacks for the single hardcover. I haven't read this series yet, but I already know that I'm in on the series, so I might as well get it in hardcover, right? Like, it's TJ Klune. And like, it's Becky Chambers. If I see a Becky Chambers book, I'm just going to buy it. Um, if I see, you know, the next, the next Locked Tomb book in of the series, course. I've already pre-ordered that. If I can't, I think I've already pre-ordered that. Sure I have a list did. so I can I'm, double check. Wouldn't be surprised if you pre-ordered it twice. No, I have a list so that I've stopped accidentally pre-ordering books twice, but I also don't remember if I've been able to pre-order Electo yet or not. Um, but like Tamsin Moore, if she, I, anything that has that name on it, I'm going to read it. So one way or another, right? It is nice. It is nice and magical to be reading things that are coming out now, even though going into a used bookstore and walking into the fantasy section is still like being surrounded by old friends. Because what's funny about the fantasy section in used bookstores is that it doesn't feel like the books that are on those shelves have changed a whole lot since when I was in like high school and buying those books. Um, you're still going to find like shelves of Anne McCaffrey and Andre Norton. And like, you know, it just, it just is. There's tons of Mercedes Lackey and there's, you know, a bunch of uh, Ray Bradbury. Like those books are always on the shelves at a used bookstore. But it's nice to be like, there's new content coming out that, um, that gives me life in a new and different way. And books that see and validate me in a way that I didn't, understand as younger Senda that I could be seen and validated um that it's hard for me to go back to um even some of my old favorites that don't speak to me in quite the same way anymore because I understand that I could be seen and validated more than those books do now and so now I walk through the Barnes and Noble section and I'm like you know it's really like there's so much of this fantasy is like so straight. <laughs> like, where's all the queer books? Can we just, can we just, it's not, it's not gay enough. Um, I need this section to be a little bit gayer. And it's, it's getting a lot queerer. And that's part of what's bringing me absolute joy um, right now. But, you know, it's, it's funny because it's still interesting and kind of hard to just walking through an aisle pick up on which books are right like you have to have like heard about it somewhere or read the back of every book to see what kind of relationships we're talking about um and like so the basic my basic assumption is if I just pick up a book it's probably straight unless it does something to tell me otherwise so I don't know it's interesting 
But I have a whole collection of books sitting on my shelf now to read that are, um, I have a TBR pile again, right? Um, <laughs> that are super queer. <laughs> and I can't wait, like the new TJ Klune book. And I still haven't read A Desolation Called Peace because like I keep starting to almost get there, but it's like so political that I'm like, woof, I don't know if my brain can take it right now. But also I loved the first one so much. Um, you know, it's just... Wow. Um, Hooray. Hooray for speculative fiction, queer fantasy, and queer sci-fi. I can't say, like, how happy these books make me and this influx of being able to find material in genres that I love makes me in just representative material. It is, it's magical. It's really magical. (laughs) And I'm so happy that there are so many authors and that publishers are actually publishing this stuff now Um, and publishing it in a real way. Obviously, capitalism is at play, so obviously it's successful. Um, And if that's what I have to do in our current environment is vote with my money to continue to make it successful, I don't have a problem with doing that because I love these books so much. Awesome. That's very good. I, on a very minor note, am also reading a new book uh, it's not new. I just started the Expanse series. I just read, I'm starting the first book in the Expanse um, line. I got, my kids gotten for me for Father's Day and I've really wanted to read them and I've heard really good things about the Expanse. So I'm not, I have not watched the show because I wanted to read the books. And so now I'm going to read the books and then later maybe watch the show. Anyway, that's, that, yeah, I, but I'm sense. not crashing in on your giving life thing. I just, you know, had to blurt out no, that I read fine. a book. Um, you also get to read and be happy about yes. it. That's fair. Anyway, we should probably wrap yes. up. We've done our giving lives and had a little gaming discussion in the middle of it. So hopefully you found uh, some use out of the things we were talking about. If turns out that any of the things that we did talk about from a gaming angle, you would like to hear us dive in more on, like get into it as a whole episode, hit us up and we'll tell you how to do that in just a minute. But hit us up because we could actually do a formal show from it, not just us synthesizing stuff as we're talking to each other about what's going on. So anyway, in order for us to get to the closing, got to talk about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. What show are we talking about? Well, today we are going to talk about FACA with Advantage, on which Ange and Jared love talking about RPGs. Hey, us too. Um, and D&D. This is a D&D show. Together, they share their insights into games they're running in the campaign journal and then tackle a variety of topics that affect the game in the DM's workshop. They're going to talk anyway, so might as well record it. You might even pick up an ancient D&D factoid about a previous edition of the game that you'll never use. I mean, you might use it. Sure. It's not it's not like new versions of games preclude people p- from playing the old ones if that's like the the experience that does it for you. You can always play the old one. 100%. It doesn't go away. All right. It's not like computers. All right, say send up. Don't even get into that. There's emulators. All right. Hey, I <laughs> I was thinking about it as I said it and I was like Crystal Quest and then I was like I know how to play Crystal Quest now. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> say send up. How do people yes. find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games, and I'm very happy to announce that you can also find us on TikTok at Pandas Talk Games, which might be easier to remember than our individual TikTok accounts, although you're more than welcome to follow us there as well. There's not a ton on that Pandas account yet because I just made it last night. So if you're on TikTok and you want to see what the heck is going to end up getting posted there because it's going to be a surprise for all of us, um... 
just like Phil and collaborative storytelling and leaving some space for improvisation, improvisation. Wow. Um, you can follow us on that new TikTok. You can also find us on Mastodon at Dice.Camp, at Idella Mithland, and at DNA Phil. And if you prefer, um, you can find us by writing us an email, panda at misdirectedmark.com, or by using the forums, forums.misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once we ha- uh, once they once they have that information and have found us somewhere, what can they do with by it? By all means, leave us a idea, a show topic, uh, something you'd like to, us to talk about, a question you have, something that would just make your overall gaming smoother, better, more better fun. Uh, we will then take those topics in a somewhat random and disjointed way and turn them out into shows. There's no order to how we do them. It's whatever catches my catches my mind when I read them when I read through the stack. Anyway, um, our whole goal here, the whole reason we want you to send stuff in is because we want to help you run more better games. Uh, There are many benefits for it. I will give the shortened version this time around. If you are having more fun running games, you will just run more games and you'll be in this hobby for a lot longer. Uh, And there's a lot of good reasons to be in this hobby. So we would like to help you uh, have the most fun while you're here. So Toss us some stuff. Let us put our expertise, our knowledge, and our many, many, many years of experience to work for you by giving you some helpful advice. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirector Mark Network, consider supporting our Patreon Patreon campaign. Go to patreon.com slash MMP. Your patronage is going to get you uh, the Slack Room for Life. Awesome place. Lots of people. You can have many, many chats over many, many topics. You can also uh, come hang out with us on Fridays for lunch where we get on Zoom and eat lunch and just chit chat with each other, sometimes about gaming topics, sometimes about life and a little bit of everything in there. Uh, You also get access to the Children of the Shroud materials, including uh, my behind the screen uh, segment where for about 10 minutes, 15 minutes or so, I talk about the game that you've just heard (laughs) here. It's a little tricky. You will have heard it (laughs) on the actual play, but I record it before we start playing it. So it is kind of like my thoughts about the prep of the game. And then you can actually hear what happens, like the difference between what I prep and what actually comes out in the game. Um, It's, Time capsule GM film. Yeah, it really is like, well, I just finished writing the game and I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but here's some thoughts about the game, the structure of that story, whatever, and then you can hear how it plays out. So um, you get that. There's also some campaign material, character sheets and all that. And then at some higher levels of patronage, you can get access to some games that are being developed, uh, including Chris's Lamplighter system and probably sometime in the near future, Turning Point will make a reappearance and some other stuff as well. If you are already a patron, thank you very much. And if you're not and unable to do so, we understand completely. But there is one more thing you can do. Very helpful to us. And several of you are the direct benefits of other people doing this uh, for us. And Senda, what is that thing? Well, you can leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. But you can also tell a friend. Just tell a friend or tell someone on whatever social media platform you're hanging out on these days when they say things like, I'm looking for a new TTRPG podcast that's, you know, game 
um, agnostic and I don't like listening to actual play or whatever it is. If we suit the if we suit the bill, then we appreciate the recommendation. And it really does actually help new people find the show in a really personalized and direct way. We actually just see a lot of success from that. But having said that, it also makes us really warm and fuzzy and happy inside when people write us reviews. So thank you so much to everybody who has recommended us or written a review for us. We really appreciate it. All of the above. Um, And thank you for your time doing that. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So thank you very much. Um, Huge, huge help to us. Okay. Um, With all that said, Sesenda, are you ready to execute that mission tonight? Oh, boy. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Hello, Ryan. Ryan, we're going very fast today. Yeah, we're going very fast today and we're, we're going to do a, a completely unscripted dealio, so. Yes. That's what we get for being away at a week-long business <laughs> conference. So yeah, here we go. Uh, line audio. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Bloop. Cancel all that. Oh, what? I have a fan on the background. Give me one oh, second. Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll redo that moment of silence in just a second. Bloop. <sighs> that was a moment of silence for Phil's fan. There we go. Bloop. Do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do